Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Alien Talk Podcast, a program where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs and where we push the limits of our understanding. We are Joe Landry and Nori Olford, your co-host, and we are glad to be back with you. Uh, we apologize for being a week late with this show, but due to unforeseen travel and, let's say, logistical circumstances associated with the holiday, <laughs> uh, we were not able to get our recording done on time. So how was your Thanksgiving, Laurie? Oh, it was uh, pretty good, Joe. Um, hectic and stressful doesn't begin to describe it. <laughs> um, I mean, my truck broke down when uh, my wife and I uh, got got into Texas after making that long trip out there. Uh, of course, they delayed uh, that or that delayed us uh, from getting back home. So, plus, I had to work uh, some extra hours on Wednesday before Thanksgiving and. So it was a bit of a mess. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I got pretty tied up too with traveling and cooking and getting the outside Christmas lights up as per the orders of my wife. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, we normally do skip putting out the show on the weekends in which there is a holiday. And I guess it was just an oversight on our part that we didn't do the same for this one. Yeah, I, I don't know what we're thinking. <laughs> um, I mean, we don't want to rush and just throw something uh, together while we're preoccupied with holiday and family stuff. Uh, for those of you who may be wondering, uh, Joe and I uh, do a good bit of print work uh, because we want to make the best quality show possible. So it, it does take some time for us to do the research and uh, organize the material that we're going to talk about. Right. And like anything else, that's a quality product. You need to put time and effort into it. And we want to give you, the listeners, the most accurate and well-formatted information as possible and not do a hack job by, you know, improperly compiling uh, everything because we're in a hurry to get all put together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, you can't rush uh, excellence, right? That's right. So we hope all of you had a very nice Thanksgiving. And for those of you who uh, celebrate Hanukkah, we hope that is pleasant and enjoyable and festive as that ends tomorrow at sunset. And we thank all of you for being with us today as we now begin to discuss the all too typical alien greys, the ones who we find are most commonly associated with close encounters and with alien abductions. Yeah, well, you're right about the greys. Uh, I, I guess you can say that or they are like the classical depiction of aliens, at least uh, that being so in modern times. Uh, these are the ones that have made it into the artwork, the cartoons and movies, and of which uh, I, I think all of us are familiar with. Uh, they usually tend to be the small and thin and lanky with uh, uh, disproportionately large heads, uh, having small features, except for the eyes, uh, which are gray or black, and are also uh, uh, disproportionately big. Yeah, and whenever you think of space aliens, this is the image that usually comes to your mind. Exactly, like uh, E.T., right? The extraterrestrial, that uh, lovable little guy from uh, Steven Spielberg's popular film, you know, the E.T. phone home. <laughs> um <laughs> He's an alien gray. At least I think he is. Yeah, and they tend to be very plain and uninteresting. Uh, they're almost completely gray in color, although, although sometimes they're depicted as being you know, more greenish or bluish, but definitely drab. Um, they all seem to look nearly identical to one another. They appear to be androgynous with no attractive features, like in the way of hairstyles or physique or clothing. They never seem to be dressed. Uh, mm -hmm. Just really boring. 
there's really nothing exciting about the way they look. I suppose with E.T. from the movie, he was cute only because he was so ugly. <laughs> um, assuming that he was a he. I mean, I don't know if that was, that was ever given. I, I think he was supposed to be some sort of was. yeah, some asexual being whose species had evolved past the point of having any gender. Yeah, uh, something like that. Uh, their fingers are, are also said to be very long, and uh, they are almost never described as having genitals. Um, or, or like you said, clothing for that matter. Uh, there are some who think that their bodies are actually not even organic, um, but are a form of some kind of avatar or a spacesuit even um, for a completely different species of alien. Uh, if an alien race were to describe a human being after a first contact with, uh, let's say, uh, a modern day uh, fighter pilot, how would they describe its sex? Um, I mean, they would see the suit and the helmet and face shield, not the species itself that's inside of it. So this could be one explanation for their almost uh, universal appearance. So while many diehard sci- sci-fi fans may, may think of the actual aliens in the alien movie franchise with the Sigourney Weaver, uh, but I think it's safe to assume the alien gray is the typical image conjured up Um and they are the ones most often associated with claims about abductions. Uh, I, I say notorious uh, abductions, or, or uh, these guys are notorious because um, they are so well known in our culture, and they apparently move people against their will and said an abduction. And most, if not all, abduction reports are detailing sexual assaults and violence to human victims. So there are some who believe that the greys are the more benevolent of the alien species. Uh, That is that they want to help humanity or protect humanity or guide humanity. And I'm not so sure how true that that is. I mean, you might be able to draw some connection with them being the entities mentioned in uh, many mythologies, uh, you know, ones who uh, intervene in human events in the way to bring about better outcomes and to do away with malevolence. But really, in most of the stories given about encounters with uh, them, we, we find that they've traumatized people by taking them away against their will. Like you said, many of those who report these alien abductions give, give details of uh, sexual violations being done against them. Uh, that, that's certainly not cool. No, it definitely is not. Uh, it you know it seems, Joe, that the good aliens are not the greys, but instead are the uh, uh, Pleiadians. Those are the ones who appear to be involved in our spiritual growth and and positive evolution. They are the tall uh, and and thin, and they have this they have long blonde hair, and they may be the ones who have been associated in our religions as as angels. Well, yeah, in Australia there is even lore among the Aborigines about such entities, spiritual entities, and gods as coming to Earth from the cluster of the seven, seven stars of the Pleiades, those would be the Pleiadians. Right. Uh, the alien greys, are, on the other hand, may, may be uh, more associated with the demons. Uh, this closely parallels uh, what is taught in evangelical Christianity, um, in a way that Paul is often said to refer, he, he often refers to them as to the uh, powers and principalities, that are in the uh, high places with uh, Satan having dominion um, of all of them. 
For sure, like in Ephesians six twelve, where he says, uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realm. The scripture is often ambiguous in how it depicts these beings and whether they're angelic or demonic, but they are clearly differentiated from the Lord. So it seems that the Anunnaki aliens are what would be thought of as God or the gods and the Agigi and the Greys and whatever other species would be uh, those ones uh, mentioned who serve different purposes. This kind of distinction is apparent in the Bible and how angels are not the same as archangels, who in turn are not the same as seraphim and cherubim. So this pattern of labeling them uh, may have been derived from the appearances of different alien species as seen by humanity in the distant past in the way that the Anunnaki are different from the Greys, who in turn are different from the Pleiadians, and so on. So we will dive into a couple of uh, of the more famous cases of alien abduction and alien mind control and how they came to be part of our culture. Uh, but even before any of the more recent accounts, there is an older story going back uh, about a hundred years ago, I think, uh, with a similar description of what could be an alien gray uh, communicating with someone through uh, telepathy. Right. That person would be Aleister Crowley, the well-known British occultist and self-proclaimed uh, magician and prophet. He started his own spiritualist school called Thelema around 1904 after he and his wife Rose Edith had traveled to Egypt. And he then came to believe that he was the embodiment of the deity Horus. Uh, he came out of that whole, you know, theosophical movement that emerged during the Victorian era. Uh, just as we mentioned a few weeks ago, the same one that involves similar spiritualists like Helena Bovatsky, Edward Casey, and Rudolf Steiner. So Crowley uh, later compiled a series of texts that are supposed to be the basis of his work called the Book of the Law, which uh, he said was dictated to him by what he called a non-corporal being named Awas. Uh, while it was supposed to be uh, an intelligence without a body, Crowley did make a drawing of something else that he had said was a demon he had summoned. Uh, he said it was called Lamb. His drawings of this thing, Lamb, are uh, they're rather eerie uh, and creepy. Yeah, I say. I mean, I, I see it. I saw that and the uh, uh, just going through Google one time, and I was like, "Man, that drawing uh, he made it sure does look like an alien gray." Um, with an enormous uh, cranium and dark uh, slit eyes. And, well, um, we'll we'll go ahead and put that uh, on our Facebook page for everyone to see um, later. Yeah, and, you know, it it also looks a lot like him. Uh, Alistair Crowley was was definitely an eccentric, bizarre, and uncanny individual, both in his beliefs and in his appearance. And there are some who think he was actually schizophrenic and that Lamb was nothing more than his own personality in which he was unconsciously detached to being something else, kind of like an alter ego. Uh, supposedly, he made a great effort to say that, you know, Awas was a being with its own identity. As he says in his book uh, titled Confessions, uh, we are forced to conclude that the author of the Book of the Law is an intelligence, both alien and superior to myself, yet acquainted with my innermost secrets. And the most important point of all of this is that this intelligence is, discon- is discarnate. 
so it is very dubious that Crowley's esotericism came from an alien called Awas or Lamb. He was a weird guy, so we can take that for what it was worth. Um, it does illustrate one of the characteristics of the Greys, and that is that they don't talk or make any sound. As it is, they are described as having very small mouths, sometimes even no mouths. And the way they communicate is through telepathy. Uh, they seem to have certain mind powers of which we don't even come close in our capacity. So dialogue goes about amongst them uh, through their thoughts. Uh, when you think about it, we can all imagine having a conversation with someone, uh, and that is a mental process of which we are capable. Uh, so for them, it would go a step further in which they in which that imagined conversation would be one actually taking place between uh, two two beings. Uh, they can transmit and receive their thoughts to one another, whereas we cannot. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. But not only that, uh, but they can move through space t- time in ways that we cannot uh, by what would be called instantaneous travel, perhaps through wormholes. And that brings us to the case of Betty and Barney Hill, which is well known and well documented. Uh, as the story goes, they were driving home at about uh, 1030 p.m. on September 19th, 1961, they returning to their hometown in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, from a vacation they spent in Niagara Falls. Um, that's when they saw a big bright light just below them, full moon. Betty first thought it might have been a shooting star, but it moved upwards and grew bigger and brighter. Um, and that's when they stopped the car for a closer look. Now, Betty later stated that it, it was uh, about 40 feet long and it was rotating. And then it descended toward their vehicle, which caused them to stop in the middle of the road where it hovered about 80 to 100 feet above them. Now, Barney said that the craft reminded him of a giant pancake. Um, When he looked at it with his binoculars, he could see the humanoid figures uh, looking out through uh, the windows at them. Um, Now, again, back to what my my brother-in-law had uh, witnessed, that was almost identical to what he had seen back in the 1970s. now, now, one figure continued to look at him and was telepathically conversing with him to, and, and said something like uh, to stay where where he is and, and, and to keep looking. Like, keep looking at me, but stay right there. Keep looking. <laughs> um, after this, the Hills attempted to escape, thinking they were going to be captured. Um, they then heard the buzzing and beeping noises. And the next thing they knew is that they felt like uh, they were in an altered state of mind, uh, recalling only bits of of memory after traveling 35 miles south. So it was somewhere during this encounter where uh, they said they were taken aboard the craft and experimented on. Uh, The physical descriptions they gave of their abductors 
um, are those that are typical of the alien greys. Now, now, Betty later drew out a star map to show where she believed they came from, and it was deciphered to be the, um, the star system Zeta Reticuli, which is 39 light years away in the constellation uh, Reticulum. So it's doubtful that uh, Betty would would have ever seen that constellation as it is only visible in the southern hemisphere. So unless she was an astronomy buff, and it doesn't seem like she was, uh, it's odd that she would uh, have drawn out the map to show uh, them being from Zeta Reticuli. So there are some who have put forward arguments to debunk this report. Uh, Carl Sagan, who most of us have heard of, was being one of them. He apparently engaged in heated discourse with the Hills in which he claimed their story was a hoax in which the two of them rehearsed the details of their story and convinced themselves enough to believe their own story such that even under hypnosis and they, they could have feigned their recollection of the event. Uh, he and astrophysicist Steven Soder said that the star map that was drawn by Betty did not bear any resemblance to a real star map. And in 1980, Sagan actually showed in one of his episodes of his uh, television program, Cosmos, that without the lines drawn on Betty's map, it was more or less a, a random chance alignment of dots. Uh, so regarding what you said about Carl Sagan, I, I like to add that because, he, uh, that because he was skeptical, I think he became biased in his opinion. I, I think he had a narrative that he wanted to follow just like anyone else, and, and, and was hesitant to accept the possibility that an alien abduction case may hold some truth. Um, the same goes for a religious person as well, and uh, who are also biased against uh, anything other than, than that to which they have been indoctrinated. True, and while Sagan was outspoken uh, in his assertions on the possibility of the existence of intelligent extraterrestrial life, he was also a skeptic on alien abductions. And in his book, The Demon-Haunted World, a Science as a Candle in the Dark, he explains that such accounts given do not hold up to critical analysis. Uh, he has often pointed out how the tests and experiments that the aliens are said to carry out on people are very crude and seem to be unnecessarily intrusive, uh, with the mention of instruments penetrating the anus and, and genitals. Now, even we, with our present-day medical technology, are able to learn about organisms by merely studying their genes and by doing so humanely without in inflicting pain or assault. Uh, an advanced race like the Greys that possess the technology for interstellar space travel would surely also have the capacity to learn about life on Earth without roughing people up the way they are said to do. Um, they could learn everything about our species by examining just a few test tubes of our blood. So without speaking for him, um, I, as he is not here to defend this point, I, I think this one is valid. <laughs> well, what I don't understand about the Sagan is that he was part of SETI, the, you know, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, and was involved with NASA's Voyager program, where it appears he wasn't interested in knowing if life exists out there in the vast universe. Yet he claimed that abductions don't hold weight under that critical analysis. His assertion that Betty's drawings of the star system is nothing but mere dots on paper uh, after you remove the lines, it doesn't make a lot of sense because when the lines are placed there, they do indeed reveal a stark resemblance uh, to the configuration of, uh, 
uh, of the stars like Zeta Reticuli um, that are in and near the constellation Reticulum. Yeah, he was uh, instrumental in founding SETI, um, but he also alluded to the fact that it failed to detect any signals that had been confirmed as being sent out by an intelligent life form. So it is important to consider the premise uh, that extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. And that leaves us with the question of why is there, is there so little, if any, hard proof of the aliens coming here? Um, surely if our huge antennas are searching our galaxy for any signal out there uh, that they would pick up something if the abducting spacecraft were coming, you know, say right here to Earth, almost, you know, to the surface to pick up people and then, you know, return to them. Uh, certainly one can say that they, you know, the aliens may have the technological capabilities to prevent us from finding them, like through cloaking technology, uh, such that we can't find them through these radio signals or detect any radio signals, and perhaps because they are so advanced that they don't even need to use radio signals. Um, but then we also must be careful not to fall prey to the logical sophism of applying what could turn out to be nothing but an, an ad hoc hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Um, well, back real quick to the uh, uh, you know the abduction and pain, um, and maybe they don't have the same sensation of pain as we do. And therefore, they don't treat us as delicately as we think they should, uh, much like how it can be said we aren't exactly delicate when we uh, handle fish and wildlife for tagging. So no one ever said that it uh, that just because a species is uh, technologically advanced, that it is somehow a kind, a kind and compassionate one. And perhaps SETI did, did receive those radio signals, and they're just not divulging it to the public because... It's on a need to know basis, and you do not need to know right now. <laughs> um, the public just, just does not need to know, um, at least not right now anyway. Maybe later, sometime in the future, hopefully soon, um, they would divulge something like that. Um, I mean, if the powers that be are able to deny and cover up any possible alien encounter, like with Roswell, Renishan Forest, or the Phoenix Lights, then... Why wouldn't they do the same with the uh, intercepted radio signals? Sure. Uh, we also have to keep in mind that uh, even some of the psychiatrists who interviewed the Hills, like Benjamin Simon of Boston University, suggest that they experienced a hallucination brought upon by stress, sleep deprivation, and false memories. Uh, he even suggested that Betty actually just, just dreamt the whole thing and that Barney fabricated a fantasy memory after hearing her tell him about that dream. So supposedly there were discrepancies between what the two of them actually recalled under hypnosis. And uh, Simon's conclusion, uh, as found in the journal Psychiatric Opinion, dated October 28, 1967, was that it was a psychoneurological aberration. Well, I'm I'm not sure how much uh, stock I put in uh, Simon's claim. Uh, You and I know, Joe, that as tired as we've been, uh, we've never seen weird things like like that in our minds. Uh, I mean, I worked 30 hours uh, straight one time, and I never had any hallucinations about aliens. Uh, you would have to be extremely sleep deprived. Uh, there was one time that I thought my wife was in the car with me when she wasn't, but that was it. I mean, I, I immediately realized that, and then I pulled over and uh, yeah, and, and got some much needed sleep. <laughs> That was a smart idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, because I, I probably would have crashed a car. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, 
so I, I believe that the good doctor was trying his best to make some sense of the event through his own professional medical training. Um, what we must take into consideration here is that the Hills took their story to the grave without confessing it to be a hoax. And as with any person who ages, our minds be, begin to wander and, and we are not as alert and cognitive as, as we are when we're younger. So surely one of them would have been prone to blurt out that it was all faked. Um, not, not only did Betty's niece, uh, Kathleen Martin, believe their story, but so did her co-author, Stanton T. Friedman, uh, Friedman um, who was a nuclear physicist, who later became a full-time ufologist. Now, Martin, for that matter, is, is now a, a research director for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. Now, their book, Captured, the Biddy and Barney Hill UFO Experience, is an awesome read, by the way. It's a really good book. Um, they are very nice people. I, I met them both at a conference in 2017, and they both signed my copy of, of, of this book. Um, now, you mentioned hypnosis. Uh, some people who have had these abduction experiences um, have undergone hypnosis in which they retell their encounters with alien grace, the spacecraft, um, the uh, apparatuses used in the intrusive experiments, um, all with even more detail. Uh, the Hills uh, did just that back in the 60s. Now, Martin examined the transcribed records from Biddy and Barney's uh, hypnosis sessions and, and did not find any discrepancies, uh, contrary to what the you know, psychiatrist claimed, as well as contrary to what she knew about their mental health and, and uh, marital relationship with, with one another. Uh, her assessment is that as far as the two of them both independently knew, Biddy and Barney were fully telling the truth about everything they related uh, concerning the abduction incident. Yeah, the consensus among all of the interviewers is that Betty and Barney uh, wholeheartedly believed unequivocally and resolutely that they were abducted. Um, but we must be cautious in the validity that we give to what could easily be considered a non-falsifiable statement. Um, and there was also a columnist with the magazine Skeptical Inquirer named Robert Schaefer, who went to a UFO conference in New York City in which Betty Hill gave a, <clears throat> a, present, a presentation where she showed photographs she had taken of these objects in the sky that she said were, uh, that, uh, that he said, that Schaefer said, um, upon looking at them were nothing more than mere smudges and streaks. And through his interviews with her, um, Schaefer found out that since 1977, uh, Betty had joined other UFO enthusiasts and would meet up with them uh, you know, about three times a week on average. And he later wrote in uh, 2011 that uh, those others were not very impressed. Those others in that uh, group of UFO enthusiasts were not very impressed by Betty's uh, observation skills in which she would often mistake things like, you know, distant streetlights for, for being UFOs. And according to Schaefer, uh, one of them even said that she is not really seeing any aerial phenomena at all, but is nonetheless calling it that. Right. I mean, I mean, it could be it could be some type of medical condition uh, with the mind or brain going on with her at that time. Who knows? Um, so whether or not you believe the Hill story, it is up for the debate. Um, but I think it's it, it's really at this point uh, that we get this sort of theme about alien greys making their way into our storytelling, as well as the idea that they they take people away. 
and they have been a part of our culture for quite some time. And in some ways, they were manifested in the stories about monsters and spirits capturing our bodies or taking away our souls, uh, much like how we see in medieval Nordic and Celtic folk folklore with fairies, trolls, and elves kidnapping brides and maidens during their merriment of fest, you know festivities. Certainly, there are other explanations for the disappearances of people, but the tales uh, that were told are of them being taken, um, are, are that it was done by things non-human. Right. I mean, it is a, a re, it is recurrent symbolism uh, that is pretty well rooted within our psyches from antiquity. These alien beings come here and then they steal us. Uh, it has become manifested in the literary tradition of books and movies like War of the Worlds, Orphans of the Sky, Invaders from Mars, uh, Cocoon, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and of course, uh, Fire in the Sky, the, the whole Travis Walton story that shocked everyone who saw that movie. And, and this notion of being abducted induces a fear in us on a primal level and that we are overpowered and made helpless. And our oral traditions, to which you just alluded, are also loaded with this abduction typology. Of course. Uh, when we're talking about abduction stories, we, we, we can't forget about Ezekiel from the Bible. Um, he was taken against his will and dropped off at another place. Uh, from a religious standpoint, we normally think about the narrative from the book of Ezekiel as being that of a spiritual experience. But it fully describes flying creatures approaching him from a distance, and he is completely conscious. He's not in a trance. Um, after it says he heard a loud rumbling sound, it says he is taken away to the captives. And he, he says he was unhappy and angry at feeling this great power of the Lord. Um, this doesn't sound like a, a mere vision. It, it sounds like he is going through a traumatic ordeal, and he's angry about it. And an abduction couldn't be characterized any better than this. I mean, Ezekiel is saying what he is actually feeling in his whole body at that point in time. Yeah. And then there is Elijah in second Kings two eleven, who is taken up into heaven by God on a chariot of fire driven by forces of fire all in the midst of a whirlwind. And this happened right before his right in front of his poor uh, compatriot, Elisha, <laughs> who was left there to watch the spawn and grief stricken. And he then is tearing his clothing. Um, there's also Enoch, as we point out uh, several times before, who in Genesis five twenty three was taken away by God after having walked with him. And in Islam, the Quran tells of Muhammad having experienced a night journey where he is taken away from Mecca to Jerusalem on a barak, uh, which is said to be a bright flashing creature. I'm possibly angelic, but definitely not something from this world. So from Jerusalem, he is taken up to the seven heavens, uh, up to the throne of Allah. Uh, also consider what is said in Matthew 24, 40 and 42, about how in the end of days, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Uh, two women will be grinding at the hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know at what day or hour your Lord will come. So are the greys the ones who will be tasked to go about the so-called four winds of the earth and, and gather the masses in what sounds like to be a global abduction? Um, are, are they the angels that the, the Bible says will be sent forth to collect this 
uh, so-called harvest of uh, of souls of people. Um, hey, ch- uh, check out our episode on Judgment Day, Return of the Alien Gods. Um, we talk about this, and um, so check it out if you haven't done so already. I think you find it interesting. So the the idea of abduction seems to be something with which the human mind is deeply imbued on a, on a subconscious level. Uh, even in what could be called you know these ancient versions of science fiction, we we find it. Um, like with the Greek satirist um, Lucian of Samosata, who wrote a fantasy epic uh, in the second century AD called True History, in which he and his companions are on a ship that is blown uh, to the moon by a whirlwind uh, out on the Atlantic. And that takes them into the middle of a war that is between the moon people and the sun people. Uh, Johann Kepler wrote a book in 1608 called uh, Simonium. Uh, that is similar to Lucian's work, and, but is in which it is the spirits that propel the travelers to the moon to encounter strange creatures up there. So these works are simply allegorical of the human neurosis surrounding abductions by unseen forces, as well as that of the human desire and fantasy for adventure in the way of flight and journey to mysterious places such as outer space. Mm. Uh, some critics of, of all the abduction cases believe that the alien greys are nothing more than people's memories of a time from when they were children and that they coordinated with one another to embellish upon their stories. Uh, Frederick uh, V. Monstrom um, wrote in the summer 2005 issue of Skeptic Magazine, Volume 11, Number 4, uh, that the alien greys represent memories from childhood development. The theory is that the faces of the greys are nothing more than the faces of mothers, and also that the greys represent unclear memories of traumatic experiences that have been forgotten over the years, uh, back to a time in early childhood when our eyes were not yet fully developed. Well, if that's the case, then everyone born should have had those experiences and um, and should have a story to tell involving an alien grey, wouldn't you think? Yeah, there, there is a psychological theory on this matter, and it mostly pertains to the processes of memory repression and memory retrieval. Researchers at Ohio State University have found that in a lot of the cases involving people making claims of alien abductions, <clears throat> that there is often some underlying emotional trauma uh, unveiled in hypnotherapy. And they also believe there is a connection with the repressed memories brought forth by victims and and the extraterrestrial type of imagery that is now prevalent in our culture. And these abduction details are usually described in encrypted and surreal terms. And it has been found that the closest comparison to these terms is quite simply the storylines and scenes that are shown to us, the masses, by the movies. Well, my thought is is if uh, if that was the case, then wouldn't everybody or at least a whole lot more people come forward and claim abductions. You would think so, right? Um, now, if, if you check out our Facebook page, you'll see photos of creatures who were known to be gods back like 7,000 years ago in Mesopotamia. These, I believe, are nothing are, 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 are nothing more than images uh, of, gray aliens, uh, of gray aliens that have been carved onto rock facings and figurines by ancient people. Um, so they carve what they saw. Um, you can't help but see the alien gray features. Um, 
uh, also among one of the groups in, in which there are, uh, of the uh, figurines, there are 12 figurines. Um, they have found that uh, there are six of them um, that are male and there are six of them that are females. Now, does that not sound like the pantheon of the 12 gods of Sumer, Greece, Babylon, Rome, etc.? Like, why 12? Yeah, indeed. Well, that's just it. Uh, the imagery of these otherworldly beings is fully interwoven into our cultures and have been so since prehistoric times. Uh, this narrative of them, whether alien or spiritual or whatnot, is psychologically ingrained in us, uh, sublimated into our minds, and as such, our exposure to them, to their forms and effigies through literature and movies, uh, makes us susceptible to false memories. It's like the power of suggestion. We take from these stories that we've read about or seen on TV and movies where we are told or shown, you know, whether verifiably or not, that people can be abducted, taken away for a time, and then returned. And certainly not everyone would have a memory of an abduction. It, it has not been found to be a universal occurrence, just as not everyone has seen a UFO. Like me, I've, I've never seen a UFO. Now, strangely and almost paradoxically, the argument that these alien abductions are not really happening, as reported, actually gives more support to the ancient astronaut theory. The reasoning is because the unconscious pattern, uh, the archetype, the symbolism of extraterrestrial life is innately present as a collective mode within the human psyche, much in the same way as it is with the notion of God, meaning everyone has their own personal experience with it, even if it is not a tangible one. So just as everyone has an innate conceptualization of God and of him taking people away, as is mentioned in the Bible, so too does everyone has a, have a conceptualization of aliens and of them taking people away because, as we explained in previous episodes, God and aliens may be mythically and psychically um, one and the same thing to us, um, even if unconsciously. So the stories of alien abductions are just as pervasive among peoples of all cultures and are as enigmatic as are the stories of religious experiences like those of miracles and visions. That is a pretty insightful way to look at it. Um, you know, biologists Jack Cohan and Ian Stewart have said in their book, What Does a Martian Look Like? The Science of Extraterrestrial Life, that the image of a gray is too close in appearance to that of a human, so it has to be considered a true alien life form that evolved on another world. He asserts that we have an anatomy quite similar to that of the grays, uh, at least from how they are portrayed in some of the reports, and that, and that could be that Homo sapiens may have similar DNA as they do. If, if you consider that other planets in our galaxy may may have a similar ecological and climatological uh, or climatological uh, conditions as Earth, then it wouldn't be impossible to think that they uh, would have a genetic composition that is like that of life here. Um, there was another UFO abduction case involving the Greys, and it's still drawing a lot of attention to this very day since it happened on November 5th, 1975, and you mentioned it earlier, and it's the famous Travis Walton case, which took place in Northern Arizona and was turned into a, a Hollywood movie called Fire in the Sky. Now, Walton was on a logging crew working near a small Arizona town called Heber. The men witnessed a bright light and 
After getting closer, they saw that it was a saucer-shaped UFO. Now, Travis was the only one to leave the truck and go look at it. Uh, he became awestruck and entranced by it. Um, the next thing he recalled was being held down and going unconscious. After that, he remembered walking on a cold highway over five days later. In 2015, uh, on the 40th anniversary of his abduction, Walton recalled that. Uh, they forced me down on the table, but I lost consciousness. Next thing I remember is waking up on a, on a highway. Yeah, yeah, the story is quite a disturbing account of how intrusive these alien greys are said to be. It, it makes it like they are abducting us to check up on us, to, you know, say to study us like, like a laboratory specimen. Um, it makes it seem almost like they're tagging us and tracking us like animals, which is a pretty twisted thing to think about. And it raises the question of why would they want to do that? I guess we can look at it as how we put trackers on sharks. Uh, from the shark's perspective, it could say it was abducted, right? Um, a shark is swimming around in the ocean like it always does. And the next thing it knows, it's being pulled upward out of the water with you know, this tremendous force onto a strange ship. And so it's there struggling to use its gills to breathe and is being overpowered by human scientists who hover over it and implant something into it, and then it fades into unconsciousness. The next thing it knows, it's back in the ocean just as before, probably thinking, uh, what the hell was that? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> yep, and, and now that shark will be tracked for the rest of his life, and uh, it'll, it'll tell its fellow sharks the whole story, and, 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 and they'll think, uh, he's totally crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You're out of your mind, Bob. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But this could just be uh, how it is with humans who are taken against their will by trackers from above. And actually, some abductees do indeed claim to have been implanted with uh, with something. Now, what exact uh, what exactly that something is, uh, that is not known. Now, I've never really been scared of these uh, so-called alien abduction cases and I, it and, and never really given much thought thought into it being turned into like something like a horror movie. But then I saw this movie is called the fourth kind and that changed. Um, <laughs> boy, I'll tell you what, that movie scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I mean, I, I decided to rent it one day when I, I had the house all to myself, uh, wife was at work and the kids were in school. I'm sitting there on the couch. I'm eating, I'm, I'm eating a bowl of cereal during, during the scene where the guy is the guy is laid up in in his bed, and it's during a uh, hypnosis session or something, and the people are all around him. They're watching him, and um, and and everything's all quiet. And suddenly, out of nowhere, this morbid sound and this distortion just blurts out, and this dude levitates and shakes in the air. Yeah. Well, truth be told, I I actually fell off my couch slid onto the floor <laughs> and the, I, I now had a bowl of cereal. I, I had to now clean up. I mean, the cereal went everywhere. Uh, I mean, I actually fell off the couch when, when that scene uh, came on um, my body hair stood up all over and the shivers that traveled over my body was no joke, man. <laughs> uh, that was something. Yeah. Um, and no movie has ever done that to me. Uh, so while composing myself and, making my way back up onto the couch. I, I had to do a, a once over. I had to, I had to check one more time uh, to make sure nobody was actually home to have uh, witnessed that. 
<laughs> yeah, that that would have been an embarrassing moment for you if the kids uh, walked in to see you scared uh, like that. Uh, you'd be still trying to live that one down. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, that uh, that scared me, and uh, and it made me think that uh, for those who claim being abducted or abducted, um, and if uh, there is truth to it, then uh, that is a very scary thought indeed. Yeah, and the fourth kind was a pretty creepy movie. I, I still think Fire in the Sky was darker. Um, there was just the cruelty to it that that left me thinking, wow, that, that was messed up. Yeah. Uh, it was almost as bad to me as it was what was Raiders of the Lost Ark. And you know what I think about that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mentioned, uh, yeah, that that scared you as kids. And that, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. The uh, the point is the stories of the alien greys have been with us since our beginning and even before then. So when we were taking our baby steps as uh you know, as humans, they were probably grown adults at the time. Um, who knows? They may have had, uh, you know, uh, had a hand in uh, in our creation. Um, and just as I don't believe that the uh, Anunnaki were the reptilians, I also don't believe that they were the alien greys either. Uh, the species all have played a part in our evolution somehow. Uh, with all of the reported cases of deductions, it is difficult to say just exactly how the aliens could be doing this with hardly any uh, detection. Uh, if they truly are from the, Z- the, the Zeta Reticuli star system, again, with, which is 39 light years away, then how are they getting here so quickly and so frequently? Or perhaps they have developed spacecraft that can reach warp speed, or perhaps they are able to travel through space-time via an advanced knowledge or uh, advanced knowledge of wormholes, or they could have hidden bases on Mars, or they could be parked on the dark side of the moon right now, um, and they could be up there just just chilling. Um, we don't know this, of course, and and it has been confirmed. That um, hasn't been confirmed. Sorry, but. Uh, but it is a possibility, I think. Well, it is certainly a topic in which many people have a strong opinion. I know I have, um, have some have told me that they believe there is a high probability of life existing on other planets, but are skeptical about the encounter and abduction stories. Um, others are more convinced, sort of on the premise of, you know, where there is smoke, there is fire. Um, and that is based on the credibility of the victims who publicly give their accounts of what happened. So that is all the time we have for today. And we want to thank all of you for who have joined us. And uh, I have to say, Laurie, so far, the aliens we've discussed and, and whose influence we've studied, they, they all seem to be rather menacing. You know, the Anunnaki, the reptilians, the greys, they're all kind of jerks. <laughs> uh, hopefully the Pleiadians that we mentioned earlier uh, truly are more benevolent than those uh, than these other ones. Definitely. And that is our topic for next week. Uh, We'll examine the archaeological and cultural part that the Palladians have played in the history of humankind. Uh, They are called Palladians because they are believed to come from the uh, Pleiades star cluster in the constellation of Taurus. Now, this group of seven stars have always uh, held a significance to people. Uh, We even find in the Book of Enoch that it is said to be the place that is Uh, the end of heaven and earth. And it could be that there is a spiritual connection made with the Pleiades because there is an alien connection to it that has permeated our religious thinking since the dawn of civilization. So we are going to have a really extensive and thought-provoking show next week as we discuss the 
possibility of the Pleiadian aliens uh, being the guardians and guides to the development and the betterment of our human species. Until next time, good thoughts, good words, good deeds, and as always, stay curious. And take care, everyone, and don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, We're also now on Twitter, so uh, we look forward to being with you again, and uh, please have a safe and pleasant week. Bye now.